0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: And harmony really takes a lot of work. You know, for us to work together even in a marriage, you know, when Carol and I set our vows together, we learned that we could have 16 mates, four better, four worse, four richer, four poorer. You have to get that later. But anyway, the real thought was that we made that commitment back then, and you're young and you're in love and you're committed as much as you can be as you are at that age. But we've learned that over the years, in order for us to have harmony throughout the years, that there's a degree that we have to accept each other right where we are. And then love each other enough not to leave us there to build each other up. So we're committed to adding value to one another, especially if we have an atmosphere of love and grace. And then at the same time, we want to please each other and not always please the other person our way, but sometimes we need to really frequently look at them and please them their way. And the end of all of that is we can rejoice with one another. If you recall, recently I was sharing with some of you regarding the um, silly things that churches split over. Because having harmony takes work. In fact, it takes hard work in a marriage, in a family, at work, and even at church. I pastored a church in the early 90s. It was one of those New England type churches. It was in upstate New York, and they don't really consider New York as New England. They do consider it the Northeast, but it still had that New England flavor. And as I would often go into a new church to start being their pastor, I'd like to go back to the history because I wanted a sense, what did God do? What was in his mind? What, what did he, how did he plant that church? So I could have maybe a little bit of the rhema. I did that when I came here. I spent a great deal of time with Jim Cook to find out what happened as the founding pastor of this church. But there was nobody alive because that church was founded literally in 1776 when we became a country, so to speak, And so I had to go upstairs in the bell tower and I found all these different books that were there, all these journals. And I went back and had to blow off the dust and kind of smear off the mildew and the mold and dig deeply into all of this material to find out what about the church. I found out that the lobby of the church used to be actually the sanctuary early on and it was built in 1835. And if you look at some of the dates, that's around the time of the Battle of the Alamo. That's how old this church was. As I read a little bit further, the church had uh, ways to try to keep the church together. One, they made sure that everybody loved each other, they had communion every Sunday, and if you didn't have a good relationship, you were kicked out of the church. That was an odd thing, and uh, that's what they did. But the most um, silly thing, too, that I found in the church document was this. The first one was, the church had its first major split in the early 1800s, after the building was built, a few years after that. They decided that they wanted to bring into the church heat. In other words, there was no heat, there was no potbelly stove, there was nothing in the early 1800s in upstate New York, and it can get bitter cold up there if you've ever lived there. And so some people wanted to bring in heat into the church by bringing in a potbelly stove and piping it outside so they can have some comfort while they were worshiping. There was a large group of people that said, no, we don't do that. And the reason we don't do that is because our early ancestors in Christianity didn't have heat like that. And for us, that's too much of a convenience for us. And we should be able to suffer and remember our missionaries that are suffering. And the best way to do that is for us to suffer in the wintertime with no heat. And so the church split. Apparently, the people stayed because they did get heat and the other group went on down the road. Sounds pretty nice until about a month later. And again, I'm not making this story up. This is all written in their journals. They're real old and the special ink pens and all of that. The church got so upset, the people that left the church, that in the middle of the night, they got a group of their men to lift up this wooden church building and put it on logs that they brought in with their horses and chains and they rolled the church across this path, this little little road that they had, so now that the church backside would face the road and the front side would face this pasture. And so they had to leave that there for a couple of months until they can change the church around and get it rolled back on the other side of the street. Now we're laughing in our hearts, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? But if you were in the church at that time, can you imagine the fractured relationships and then you would have to see these people in a little tiny town called Perth, New York? Well, that wasn't the only split they had. The other one was even a little bit more ridiculous. About 30 years later, the next generation came along and they decided that what they wanted to do in the church was they wanted to now have an indoor bathroom in the church. And so there was a big split over that. And their attitude was simply this. You know, animals, they go to the bathroom in the barn and we're not... We're not animals, so we don't go to the bathroom in our church. So if our out privies are okay, the outhouses, then it should be okay for the church. Well, again, I guess St. Hermione's prevailed and they were able to put in and keep it in a comfortable private place without sight, sound, and aroma disrupting the worship service, and they were able to do that. Well, again, I have to remind all of us that, you know, church splits sometimes are caused over some of the silliest things, Often it's not just one thing, it's a pervading boil of uncomfortableness and factions in the church. Again, I'm very grateful that you guys have come to a point in your life that we've learned to love each other and give God the time to help us to really frame our opinions based upon Scripture. I think there's another point to that, and that is because this church has enjoyed for many years solid Bible teaching verse by verse through Scripture. And when you have that, then you're really... Um, indoctrinating people correctly in what God has to say about freedom that we have in Christ. We spend a great deal of time talking about freedom and learning what the Bible had to say that freedom is not a toy to play with. Freedom is not a weapon that we do warfare with. Freedom is a biblical tool that we have that God gives to us through his grace to build up one another. So today what I want to do is conclude our little series here on having harmony as a church because as holidays are and as Things happen and new things are happening. Uh, People begin to formulate opinions and this isn't the way we used to do this or this is the way we should do this or whatever happens and slowly, little by little, there's a polarization of people and what that does, it moves from polarization to paralyzing of people, and then a church doesn't grow. So I want to come alongside all of us that as we experience a new life for all of us, for Carol and me, for you, for us, for the new pastor coming in, that we would then have that spirit of understanding with each other. So if you have your notes in front of you, I want to cover this block of Scripture, and then we'll conclude this and get into some Christmas messages uh, next week. I've got some neat things I'd like to share with you from God's Word. Today I want to talk about rejoicing, though, With one another, we learned the four marks. One was again to accept one another where we are, but we love them too much to leave them there. So we want to build up one another, but not be offensive as we build them up. When we're using our hammers and saws, we don't want to damage that beautiful wood that we have, is because we're wanting to build the building. So we want to help a person to grow, and to do that, we uh, dip our arrows in honey with a lot of pleasure. We want to think how we can really please them. Our example is Christ, but He's our example in everything. So today we want to rejoice with one another. And the reason we want to rejoice with one another, the rejoicing is, is so that it brings out praise and glory unto the Lord. So the rejoicing isn't so that we have a better club or a better, um, oh, I don't know, um, maybe um, rec center so we can play around with each other. But that we happen to be a body, a family, that together we're saying the same things and we're thinking the same things. And in a sense, we're singing our praises to the Lord from our heart upward at the same time. So my question now is, how can we do this? Well, let me give you three and then we'll be done for today. I think our greatest example is always going to be Jesus Christ. He is our pattern. If you will look at that simple little verse, it's going to sound like I'm coming full circle again or I'm being repetition. Because I mentioned we accept one another from Romans fourteen one through 12, and it's mentioned twice there in Romans 14. In the very next chapter, Paul again says you need to accept one another one more time. The first one said accept those who are weak. Now it says even the weaker to accept those who are strong. So the idea is to accept one another. And then it gives us our example, just as Christ. So that's why I put in here our pattern to accept one another would be as Christ. He's accepted us. But there is also a motive that is, is, is accepting us, so that the end product would be that together we would glorify the Lord rather than you're in, you're out, you're, you're with us, you're against us, but that together we can make a beautiful sound to the Lord. And so I really thought this was really, really neat. So I went back and I wanted to do a word study. And, and the reason I'm telling you this is not to wow you in Greek because I'm not a Greek scholar. But here's what I did find out, that there are different words for the word accept. One Greek word is simply accept. There's another Greek word that's kind of like a compound Greek word that actually means to really accept, accept fully. It's kind of like full volume accept or to receive that other person. So I thought, hmm, that must be pretty important if he now cranks up the volume on to accept people that are different than we are, to accept one another just the way they are. So I decided to do a little word search through scripture. And here's what I found, and this I think we can make a wonderful application for us. The time that it was basically first mentioned in the New Testament, apart from what Paul was saying to Romans, was a guy in the New Testament in the book of Acts, his name was Apollos. Now, Apollos would be very similar to Chuck Swindoll in the sense, most of you that have heard of Chuck Swindoll, he's a great pulpiteer. He really is a great wordsmith. When you listen to him, you like hearing him because he's able to really tell a story or to even tell some humor or to open up scripture in a very living, technicolor, surround sound way. He was a great speaker. Different, maybe, than Chuck Swindoll, Apollos was not always accurate or always clear on his presentation. That's why in some translations it said that he was inadequate. Inadequate just basically meant that he didn't know it correctly or clearly. Well, he was coming into town and he was just speaking and he had a great following and he really, I'm sure, had a passionate heart for God. But there was a couple in the midst. They weren't. Apostles, They weren't preachers. They were just like you, perhaps, a couple that loves the Lord. And God has allowed you to maybe have a little more privilege to be around people that taught you a little bit more. And maybe a certain area of truth you gained a little bit more. And then you would hear this Apollos speak. And so when he spoke, these two people noticed that the sound didn't ring as clear. And perhaps it was a little off to the point that there could be a conflict in what was being said and what others were teaching more accurately. So instead of then saying, I don't want to be a part of this, I've got to go find another speaker, another church, another group, they decided to apply what Paul was saying right here, which is to come alongside them, to receive them, but super receive them, like Christ did, with the hopes of bringing them together so that we can glorify the Lord and rejoice as one. And so they pulled him off to the side, and then they communicated to him the word of God more accurately, more clearly. Now, I really wish I had more time today, but I don't. But if you had the time, I'd like you to follow the life of the apostle, or of of Apollos. And when you do, you're going to find that his message was a little more clear, a little more accurate as he spoke. All because there was a couple that wasn't ready to say, I'm through with you and I'm gone. There was a couple that said, I'm going to give God time to work in his life. I'm going to come alongside them. And I believe they did it more privately. They didn't jump up in a meeting. They didn't kibitz with all the other people about him. They just took him off to the side. Would you like me to read the verse to you? It's found in Acts chapter 18, verse 26. And here's what it says. Aquila and Priscilla, here it is, lovingly, I like that word, lovingly, motivated by love, and they communicated in a way that was kind. They invited, that's the word proslabano, They accepted. They invited. They welcomed him, Apollos, who wasn't as clear or accurate, into their home. So they did it privately. But they did it more than just build a relationship with him. And I do find a lot of people, they want to hang with everybody, even if they don't agree with them. And all that does to the person who's wrong is it reinforces their inaccuracy or their um, lack of clarity. And they didn't just do that. They brought him into the home lovingly. Apparently, Apollos did come. And then notice what else it says. And explained to him the way of God more adequately. In other translations, I think clearly says more accurately, more clearly to do that. So as we move forward, you know, pretty much most of you are settled into what I teach. Well, you're going to have another man of God who is on his journey. And he's going to be a little younger. He's going to be a little different place in his walk with the Lord. That doesn't mean he's ignorant. It doesn't mean that he is... um, how can I say, um, unintelligent about truth that he still hasn't figured it all out but he's on a journey to grow. And as I look back over my history of preaching since 1972 I want to thank God for the people that have come alongside me and said Stan, I think you could have said it better this way. And let me not go back so far. Let me just go back in the 10 years Carol and I have been here. Those of you that have sent me a text, sent me an email, pulled me aside you never once said Stan, I'm out of here. He said, hey, Stan, have you considered this? Or what about that? And where does that, how do, you, how do you put this? And it drove me into the Word of God, and it made me a better person in my knowledge of the Word. I, I hope it's changed my character. And so that's what they did to Apollos. And I went a little bit further, and this is important, too, because I think the contrast is. A little bit later on in the, in the book of, of Acts, now we're moving where Paul is a Christian now. He's with other prisoners. He's going to another place because he's a prisoner for Christ. And their ship was shipwrecked off the coast of Malta. Now Malta is an island that still exists today. So it's not some fairy little story that's really happened. And when they were shipwrecked, they then made it to the beach. And then on the beach, one translation said, there were islanders there. Now uh, that sounds kind of like Hawaiian islanders. But actually in the Greek, it, it's a little worse than that. Because our islanders are very aloha spirited which we were very grateful for, that's what makes this island our people so wonderful, they were really known as barbarians, which is pretty much where the barbarians would go, to be an island, because they can kind of control the island and live out their barbarous life, we might say. And so while they were there, it says these islanders, listen to this in 28.2, says, showed us unusual kindness. Even barbar barbarous people, people that are low-life pirates, we might say, can still show unusual kindness. Now, how did they do that? It said they built a fire and welcomed us. That's that same Greek word that says accept one another, but it's on steroids. They proslabanoed us. They welcomed us. I mean, they reached out. They worked. They wanted to make sure that we felt, Paul is saying, that we were accepted by them. And watch this. We were safe, that they weren't going to kill us or beat us up or maim us or starve us or torture us. They wanted to communicate the fact that we know you've got a problem and we want to help you with it. What was the problem? It goes on to say they did this to all of us because it was raining and cold. So even these unsaved, low life type people still had a degree of human dignity to show honor and acceptance to someone who had some physical needs because they were wet from the shipwreck. It was rainy, they stayed wet. And it was cold. Have you ever been someplace where that the rain just slapped up against you and you felt so cold and you just were shivering so badly? It's hard to believe that here in Hawaii. Last night we took a couple out for dinner and they had gone to the island of Kauai and while they were there they went on one of these little river raft things and when they did there was this huge waterfall and we saw pictures of it they said nobody else wanted to get in the water and we did so we stood underneath this waterfall like they show in all these travel shots they said you notice those people frolicking around in that and i said yeah i have it looks so cool he says no it's not cool it is ice cold and miserable you know well i can imagine it was ice cold and miserable for the apostle paul but these people welcomed them in so maybe you go down memory lane can you remember someone That was different than you or maybe the other way around. You were different from them. But they showed you no little kindness. And they did something to you to relieve any discomfort that you might have had. Maybe your discomfort wasn't that you were cold and shivering. Maybe your discomfort was you always felt like you were on the outside and nobody liked you or nobody knew you and you were very embarrassed where you were. But this person said, I don't want you to feel like you're alone. And they kept up with you. They checked on you. They made sure that you felt safe, secure, loved, And accept it. Well, I can't get past the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe the best way I could do that is just read this verse. Jesus says this. He says, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. So let's just put it in our language. When we look at someone who's a little different, thinks a little differently than we do, says things a little differently than we say. But if we receive them It's to remind us that Jesus received us. And when we receive him or her, then it's like we're receiving Christ. And if we're receiving Christ, the scripture says, then we're receiving God. So probably one of the closest things to being godly is to be so receptive of people who might be a little different than you are. Maybe, um, like one person said, I I, I think this is really, really classic. It was W.B. Riley who was one of the founders of Northwestern School, the school that Jim Cook had gotten his degree from, W.B. Riley said this. He said, don't run from something that you hear for the first time that you don't agree with too quickly because that person really may be right. So it doesn't mean you have to swallow everything they give you, but it does mean when you hear something, accept the person, work it through, take the time, study it, work it out, decide what hills are the hills you're going to fuss over and the hills you are going to spill blood over and the hills you are going to die over, but don't make every little fuss over hill a hill to die over as well. Otherwise, where are you going to be with life? Where are you going to be with people? At the end of your life, who will you have in it? So, again, the idea is to follow Christ as he is our wonderful example of doing that. Now, if you don't mind, I want to just kind of give you a little pro-future thing. <clears throat> I know this is being recorded and it's going to be on for a long time on the radio all over the country. So you folks that are listening, if you don't mind me speaking to you, I'm going to talk about an upcoming event this church is going to have. This may not relate to you, but I want you to listen because you can still use it. In a few months, our church here is going to have its jubilee, its 50th anniversary. You can think of how many churches have not lasted that long. Think of how many churches that have lasted that long that probably shouldn't have lasted. I mean, they're still fighting. They're all, they're, they're just not doing anything for God. This church is really going to celebrate that. We're getting the word out now, and I'm very amazed at how many of what I call alumni. These are your former members. These are the ones that moved off island for whatever reason. They're, they're wanting to come to be a part of this. I think there's a lot of good reasons for everybody to be a part of this event. One is it gives us a golden opportunity by God to emphasize the faithfulness of God. So that is the entire theme of our Jubilee. The faithfulness of God. But that's pretty broad stroke, the faithfulness of God. Especially when you talk about 50 years. That's a timeline. So we're going to have Jim Cook, who's the founding pastor, he's going to speak on the faithfulness of God on Saturday night at the banquet. And I'll come back to that in a moment. This is not so much an advertisement as an illustration. I'll show you what I mean in a moment. Then on Sunday we're going to have a much different type of morning than we normally have here. Why? It's a different kind of event. Yes, we will worship the Word of God. You'll get plenty of the Word of God. There will be wonderful, celebrated music here, plenty of fellowship, and don't worry, we will have food. So, that being the case, at 9 o'clock, we're going to... Have the wonderful breakfast we normally have. Add a little bit more to it. We're going to have all the booths of the missionaries out here. We're going to have those that have uh, ministries in the church have their booths out. I know you're busy. I know things are happening. But by doing this, you're able to celebrate visually what what other people are doing so that we can see God in the events, not just hearing it existentially, so to speak. And then at 10 o'clock, we're all going to come in here. We're going to have a wonderful service then. And it's going to be pretty much divided in two parts, but not so chop-chop. The first part of that, I'm going to speak on the faithfulness of God in the present. What God has really been doing in our midst. And oh, the Lord is here. He's done so many wonderful things. Well, I'll save that for that. But, the last message of the three, because you have to have faithfulness of God in the past, faithfulness of God in the present, then what do you have to have? Faithfulness of God in the what? In the future. Well, what better person to speak than the new senior pastor that will be here. And so when he speaks... He's going to speak on the faithfulness of God in the future. So between the time I speak and then bleeding into his time, we are then going to have, and I hope you're here to see this if you haven't seen it before, we're going to have an installation service. Now there's nothing magical or mystical, but there is a point of reference. There's a point of time to say, you are now really our pastor. We're going to have something very special that encapsulates his time, the new pastor's time, of now receiving that call to be here, the physical call, not the call to pastoring or call to preaching or call to the ministry, but the call of all of that to us here will happen at that wonderful time in the morning. And then when we're finished with that, what are we going to do again? What do all good Christians do? We go eat. So we'll go back into the fellowship hall and that time the missionaries are going to get a chance to share. Now I'm telling you this, now you're hearing it as an advertisement for an event. That's not where I'm going. Where I'm going is simply this. We're really going to need to accept these people that are coming to the island. Some of them will need a place to stay. They're not going to stay for months or years. They just need a few days to crash at your place. Which may mean that you might have to kind of change some things around in your house to take them in. I'm not going to embarrass you by coming to you and putting you on the spot. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to maybe work in your heart of opening up your heart to receive them through Ho'okippa Hospitality. And then perhaps... There'll be a time we're going to do the banquet here. The banquet will look very much like the Night of Delights. Uh, not exactly, but pretty similar. It's going to be a wonderful experience in here. But we can only fit certain amount of people in here. There's trade-offs between going other places or having it in two different locations, etc. But the team very wisely and prayerfully decided we're going to do this. And we're going to get our tickets and we're going to sell them as quickly as we can. We're going to hold back some for our guests and of course for our missionaries and our speakers. That being said, I hope every one of you would come to celebrate the first night to be able to hear Dr. Jim Cook, the founder. But it also may mean that we'll sell out of tickets and we'll have too many other people in line. And I might then suggest that some of you that are so gracious and kind, you might say, you know what, I'm going to come to the event, but I'll serve, I'll let them have my ticket, I'll give my ticket back and let them sell it to the next person. It's not free, can't afford to do that with the kind of food we're having. But at the same time, I want you to know this is our opportunity to accept people in... With a sacrifice to us to add value to them. And I'm going to be um, so blessed when I'm observing all of us. Me too, Carol too. To do what we can to add value to them throughout the entire event. And that's not even to mention what happens the next weekend at camp when it's the afterglow of all the events and a good time together. So I hope that you set that aside for the purpose of demonstrating what you're hearing this morning from God's word about accepting people. You accept the weak and we accept one another to do that. Now, I want to go to number two, and these are not quite as lengthy. They're longer verses, but I think I can explain them a little bit more quickly to you. First of all, it's what I call God's great promise. Verses 8 through 12 is really...
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.